Good morning. Welcome to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Jay Thomas. Well, there's always somebody here with me, and today it is Jill Van Dyvendyke, who's actually on the road as well. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Yes, I'm coming to you from Kelowna today. So my um, my brother, actually, I became an auntie last week, so I hopped on an airplane to um, see my new little niece, Annie, and congratulate my brother and sister-in-law. So I'm so, so excited, and it's been such a great weekend of snuggles, that's for sure. <laughs> awesome. That's a, that's a good reason to go on a trip somewhere. What's it like in Kelowna right now? Well, when I when I got here, there's a little bit of snow when I looked out of the airplane, and then when I started driving towards my brother's house, um, pulled up to his house and completely green grass. They got a little bit of rain, um, and the rain actually melted the little bit of snow that they did have. So um, we're looking at green grass. Luke was talking about doing the last of the the dog cleanup in the backyard, and then possibly cutting his grass later today. What? So isn't that so strange? Oh. But the, temp- the temperatures are about the same as what we're seeing in Saskatoon right now. They're sitting around like 6 to 10 degrees, so it's not super warm, but yet uh, they're still having warm enough temperatures that everything is uh, melted. I'm kind of jealous. I mean, uh, we got some interesting conditions going on, if you heard in the news just a few moments ago, uh, but I'll expand on that. Uh, the fact we've got some freezing rain, and there's a good chunk of the province that has a freezing rain warning through Saskatoon, Martinsville, Warman, and then further south till about uh, where the Diefenbaker Lake area is. It jogs over and carries south through Swift Current down to the U.S. border uh, and then over to East End, that kind of area. So those parts of the province are, are have a freezing rain warning, experiencing freezing rain. I was driving through some of it. Uh, you know, you got to be a little careful. There was uh, at least, you know, for, for my travels today into the city from Martinsville in Saskatoon, uh, there was... Some salt on the on the highways. Once I got onto the freeways in the city, that's where it got a little bit interesting. So I know that's not everybody who's listening right now. There's lots of people around the entire province who are tuned in. But if you're in some of those areas, uh, do take care. Watch the roads. It, it can be pretty slippery in some places. one 332 8255 A couple of great ways to join the conversation. You can text us with that number or you can give us a call and uh, get on the phones just like Jill is right now. So we want to talk about quite a, quite a few things uh, throughout today's show because it is... Is getting into seeding, seed starting season, right, Jill? Oh, absolutely. And I think this warm weather has people with the spring bug. Like, they, we just want to get out there into the garden. And our seed starting department has been bustling around. Um, the last of our seeds have started to arrive. And what I'm finding is there, um, the seed companies are producing more varieties of seeds as the trend of gardening has become um, more popular. And not just like vegetable gardening, but even um, cut flowers. We're seeing eucalyptus. We're seeing some of the old flowers like the Nicotiana or the tobacco plant coming back to seeds, whereas I used to only be able to grow them if I grew them myself and we'd be able to see them um, in, the, in the greenhouse. But now we're starting to see the seed companies capitalize on, on something. So it's really exciting to see some of these um, more unique colors coming to the seed packages where we can uh, we can start planting them ourselves. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's an exciting time to pick up your supplies and remember it's not only just the seeds but making sure that you have the right area for your seeds so making sure you have a bright window or um, some grow lights Um, maybe even a heat mat I know Jay we've talked about what the heat mats are before but um, that bottom heat really helps with germination and what containers are you going to be growing in and and remember Jay I think that we did talk about this before but 
about the space that seed starting does take up. Yeah. Um, I think you mentioned, uh, I think you and your wife started doing some seed starting and it kind of took over your kitchen. No, it, it, it was, it happened one year with my, with my mother and father-in-law where they oh, started up quite a few and they still do that, but they just back down on the numbers. But it was, there was pots everywhere in the house. There was pots on the table in the kitchen and then in the living room and on the floor and downstairs under grow lights and in every room that had a window and yeah, it was, it took over, you know, so. Uh, yeah, it, you know, you, you think, oh, I'll, I'll plant a bunch of these and a bunch of these, and you don't really realize, yeah, well, one tray is easy to have, but those all have to turn into pots uh, inside before they can go out to the garden, right? So knowing how much room exactly. you have to, for those pots as well is is kind of crucial. And, you know, the other thing, you know, we talk about seed starting lots, but if you're in a place or in a situation, like for me right now, I wouldn't have a whole lot of places to put a whole bunch of extra pots. Most of the places in my house that I've got pots, I've already, you know, I've got house plants in them. So, you know, I'm, I'm out of space. So I could maybe, uh, you know, stand to start a few of them myself. But if there's stuff that you don't want to start yourself, you can always pick up plants like, you know, ready, ready to go small plug plants at the garden center, right? Even for all those vegetables. Yeah. So that's a good point, Jay, is um, trying to deciding which ones you're going to do from seed and which ones you're going to um, get as a bedding plant. And I would say picking some of those maybe more unique plants or those heirloom varieties um, by seed might be a better choice um, and just planting a few of those. And then those more common varieties, your early grow, your tumbler tomatoes, um, those varieties that maybe you're only doing like one or two of, get those as a bedding plant instead. Right. Okay, perfect. Hey, let's talk about a couple things with seeds. Um, you would, you'd give me some notes here, Jill, and, and, uh, and this is great to go because we're talking seeds right now. But we have different, mm-hmm. different kinds of seeds that we can, we can purchase in terms of organic, heirloom, hybrid, and open pollinated seeds. So let's kind of go through these and talk about what, what they all mean with, with organic seeds. You know, that's kind of, a, um, again, a term that's thrown around a lot in the grocery store these days uh, in terms of related to our food. What does it mean with organic seeds in, in, in gardening? Yeah, so it's, it's a good point. You'll see all these like labels on um, on all the seed packaging, and when you see the word organic um, on it, it means that it actually has to pass certain certification tests, and those certification tests are quite strict. Um, it, you ha- they have to be grown without chemicals. They have to be grown with certain standards. Um, they have to be grown with organic fertilizers. Uh, they can't be grown in the same um, area or crop field as other plants that maybe are sprayed. So um, when you go to greenhouses or fields that um, are grown organically, they're actually completely segregated from another from the other crops. Um, when I was visiting some of my greenhouses um, in BC this past uh, past summer, uh, they actually have their organic crops are a completely a row. Uh, there's a road in between and a whole other section of greenhouses because they can't even be anywhere close to other crops where there might be some spraying. Oh, wow. So that, that's what organic means. So there's quite a few compliances that they need to, to pass and they need to submit to be able to certify something as organic. So when you see that, I, you might see like a, a, a bit higher price tag for something organic. That's because there's quite a few hoops that you have to drop um, step through to be able to get that sort of stamp of approval on there. So, um, so opposite of that, then we have conventional seeds. Is that is that still a thing? Like if you can see organic seeds on, on, on a pack a, on the on the shelf, is there also just conventional standard seeds that might be used, you know, in, opposite of those? 
Well, and when you don't see the word organic stamped on this, that's a good point. But when you don't see organic stamped on it, it doesn't mean that those plants have necessarily been sprayed with chemicals or anything like that. It just means that that producer hasn't gone to the steps to get them certified as that. So um, it, it means that um, we we don't know the process of growing in, in that particular variety. Does okay. that make sense? So yep. Yep, it sure. doesn't necessarily mean that that crop's been sprayed with chemical for sure. It just maybe means that that crop might be near a farmer's field, so it can't be certified organic. Does gotcha. That, does that sort of make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, heirloom seeds are the next one, and uh, heirloom seeds are like seeds that maybe are harvested or passed down from multiple generations. So you actually collect the seed from the same plant, and you collect the seed from the same plant and from its daughter's plant, and it just keeps getting passed down from that exact same breed. Um, and it is usually... Um, it can be grown organically or non-organically. So sometimes you will see um, organic stamp on some heirloom seeds, and sometimes you will not see an heirloom. So you could even get, like, um, a brandywine tomato seed that might have an organic stamp on it, but you can also get a brandywine tomato seed that may not. And that's just because maybe that company has actually gone through the certification process on that. Okay. Right, right. Okay, gotcha. And so uh, that that's another one of those uh, terms that we sort of hear about, or uh, you know, the, the heirloom stuff, uh, especially when it comes to like tomatoes, things like that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so are are those tomatoes? You know, is that is it a word to think of that they're you know uh, juicier, more of a classic taste, anything like that? How, what what separates them really? I think that those ones are very much a, more of a classic taste. Um, I think that uh, they're one of those, like, tried and true, my grandma always did it type tomatoes. One thing with the heirloom tomatoes is they generally have a really long seed starting date. So you want to start getting them going really early in the season. A lot of people don't know that, and they're like, oh, I want to try this heirloom variety. And then they plant their seeds maybe um, end of March or um, beginning of April with some of their other shorter varieties like the tumblers of early girls, and then they're not getting a crop for the season. So it's really important you start later. The other thing is, is if you've had maybe some disease or something like that in your yard um, with tomatoes, maybe you've had some blights or um, some uh, some things like that or some funguses, I would not go with an heirloom variety because they are not bred um, for that disease resistance like some of the other um, hybrid varieties are. Right. So there's there's positives and minuses, I guess, with with those, I guess, to, to discuss, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean they are they are the oldest generation of, of some of our things, so they've they've survived the test of time, but when you buy an heirloom variety, don't expect perfection with your crop. Your tomato um, might be slightly um, disformed or disfigured a little bit or it might have a, a few cracks in it. And some of those things are due to environmental issues, but some of those are just due to the fact that that, that variety, it's, it's just an older variety and it does change a little bit over time. So, Jill, uh, we were talking about uh, seeds. We're going to get back to that in a second. We had a couple texts come in that I want to get to first. So, uh, Catherine in Saskatoon says, I'm trying to get my cactus plant to bloom. So, for eight weeks, I've done the 12 hours of day of cool, darkened, decreased watering. It's got several buds at various stages. If I continue the process, will I get more buds, or is it time to stop the process, up the watering, and, you know, fertilize and, and give it more light? So... Uh, I'm curious what type of cactus it is because that will make a little bit of a difference, but it sounds like it's more of like a Christmas Easter cactus um, type of plant. So 
one of the things that uh, you can do is you can mimic what uh, cactus would need in nature as a change in seasons in order to bloom. So cooler nights, warmer days. So putting it kind of a cooler area and then make sure you're fertilizing it. And fertilize it with something with a lower nitrogen um, really will help that um, plant bloom a little bit too. Um, once you get the buds on it, um, your cactus plant is going to require a little bit more water, but you don't want to water it so much that you overwater it and then you'll get bud drop on it as well too. So that, that is kind of these little tips. So cooler nights, warmer days, or you can even take your plant and put it into a cooler area and then bring it out and put it into a warmer area and that will kind of reset the blooms for you and then starting to fertilize them again, especially in those spring and summer months. Okay, perfect. Let's go to a text from Colleen at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. What is the best time and the best way to start begonia rhizomes? Uh, the, you want to be starting your begonias right now, and the best way to start them is uh, you take the the bulbs and you would. Um, I'd fill my pot with soil and fill it up right to the top. And I kind of would just dig a little hole. And if you see a begonia bulb, it almost like, I say it, cut, it has like a little divot in the center and it's almost got these hips on the side of it. And you want to plant it so that those hips are almost touching the surface of the soil. So you're planting it quite shallow. And, uh, and then you want to keep your soil um, moist, but not soaking wet. Remember, that's a bulb, but if you keep it too wet, you're going to rot that bulb. So um, soil temperature is really important. So if you have a heat mat, that will that will definitely help um, get it going. And then as soon as you start to, to see the sort of it germinate or some sprouts come out of it, um, increasing that light, um, of, of course, is really important. But watering, I would say, is the most key thing. You don't want to let it dry out, um, but you, you want to make sure you keep it a little bit, a little bit of moisture in that pot, um, but not too much. I know lots who will come in with their bulbs will get mushy, and that's usually due to overwatering. Okay, all right. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Let's go back to our uh, our uh, talk about seeds here. So uh, we talked about organic seeds, what heirloom seeds are, but there's a couple more varieties or versions of seeds, I should say, that that you can you can buy at a store. And one of them, which uh, we're seeing more and more of all the time, are hybrid seeds. Right? What are those about? Yeah, so your hybrid seeds are um, are more controlled, a uh, controlled process. So they've taken them and they've crossbred them from two plants to create new varieties and new colors. And that's where you're seeing some of these more vibrant colors or some variegation in your plants. And they're basically saying they're seeing a plant change and then they're taking the seed or the pollen from that and crossing it with another one. Where this is more naturally done with like bees and moths and those types of things, they're actually intentionally going in and cross-pollinating these plants with each other to to in turn make a new plant. Um, so a lot of these are, are bred for specific reasons, for disease resistance. So they'll have a plant that's maybe naturally selected and it they they expose it to disease and this there's like maybe 10 plants that are exposed to disease and one of them has survived it so then that plant gets selected to sort of breed against some more plants that now it's it's kind of immune to those diseases um, to create more yield um, so uh, some plants you'll you'll see that they'll they'll maybe have like 20 more tomatoes than the other plants and they'll be like hey you know what? we're going to choose that plant and cross pollinate with another plant and do that um, or maybe other characteristics like variegation or um, a, a color, they will start cross-pollinating that. Or a Remember, size, this right? Is, this, 
Yeah, this does not mean that it's genetically modified. Genetically modified means when they're taking it at the cellular level and they are kind of changing the plant at the cellular level. This is um, just at it, it, within pollination, if that so makes it's, sense. So it's like selective breeding, basically. Is what, and, and if you think about it, this is what we've done actually as humans for decades, hundreds of years actually, is, is selective breeding, picking those plants and then going with those ones for the next generation, so forth, so on, to, to get the characteristics we're looking like, right? Looking for. That's how we've had all of our different varieties of, of, of customized trees and all of the flowers and like just so many things that, that we've helped along the way to selectively breed to make it look, look like we want to, right? Yeah, exactly. And one of the things with um, these um, hybrid seed varieties, a lot of people will go and they'll collect the seed and then they'll plant it and they'll be like, why didn't I get the same plant? And it's because that seed is now unstable once it's sort of um, it might go back to, to one version of its mother or it might go back to the version of its father. And so you, you, you don't know what you're going to get if you collect that seed. So it's, we consider that unstable. And if you're wanting to reproduce a hybrid plant at that point in time and you want that exact same thing, then we would might, might start doing cuttings from that plant. Gotcha. Okay. The last uh, category of seeds to talk about we want to mention was open pollinated seeds. What does that mean? Yeah, so that means that the flowers are pollinated. Um, they're just maybe put out in the field and you're allowing the bees, the, the moss, the, even the wind um, to, to pollinate them. Or even these might variety be varieties of plants that are self-pollinating. So these are not hybrid varieties. And some people um, will buy the open pollinated varieties because they, they might even say that uh, the, these varieties have more superior flavor because they're just, uh, it's kind of like the heirloom varieties in a way, okay. um, but they're just op- open pollination. Uh, they might be a newer variety, but they're, they're not um, pollinated um, artificially. And a couple of texts we want to get to before we keep going with our, our talks here, uh, because we would love to get these things answered as quick as we can. one 332 8255 uh, this is from Jeremy, who's in Estevan, and says, I've got some old trees around my yard that are starting to die off. Can a person plant new trees amongst the deadfall? Will those new trees take? What do you think, Jill? Um, yes, they definitely will. Now, there's two factors that will um, inhibit your trees from growing, with, especially with new little ones, is the amount of light that you have in that area. So if you have dead trees in that area... I would go in there, thin it out a little bit, get rid of any empty dead branches, um, those types of things, so you can allow some more light in there. The other thing is if you have some trees that are dying, um, it might be a wise idea if you're trying to get some new trees going is just to remove those completely. The reason being is those old trees, they might soak up some, some water from that area and inhibit the water from getting to the new one. So if you are planting the new trees, getting adequate water to them and fertilizer will make those new trees grow a lot stronger so that will be an important thing and then the amount of sunlight that they have so you definitely um best time to plant a tree is is when in jay yeah 20 years ago now that's that's a thing to think about you know is to be successively planting stuff right so you know yeah. all trees have a lifespan right they they live a certain length some of them shorter than others there's trees we've got you know around the province in regina and saskatoon that are that are 100 years old or 120 years old now but if you have a I don't know, a poplar that's, you know, got 30, 30 years. That's kind of all you get out of them sometimes, right? So, Yeah, exactly. So you want to be watching for that, that lifespan of the tree and being proactive, just like this gentleman here and, uh, and starting to get some of those little 
little trees going again in, within your within your old ones. But yeah, for sure, uh, Jeremy, you know, get those trees planted this summer. They they should take. It's just a question, like Jill said, of do you have enough water, enough sunlight, and making sure fertilizer? Because you know, lots of times with say an old yard or maybe a farmyard, you know, you got a, a nice big shelter belt. You bought uh, bought a property. It's got a shelter belt there. But then if you go to replace those trees or add them, don't forget that, you know, it, those, those established trees can s- tend to survive, you know, with, without being watered. That, that is typical, right? Jill, they, they do, there's lots of people that have success without them being watered because they're older trees. The roots go down into the, into the groundwater, but new trees mm-hmm. need the, need the water to them, right? Yeah, so you'll need to get irrigation to them. Um, mulching around the base of them will help retain that water as well, too. But definitely the first advice, um, if Rick was here, or we've done lots of walkthroughs of acreages and properties last summer, um, me and Rick, and the first thing that he'll say is, how are you planning to water these? Because there's until you get the irrigation in place, there's no point in even planting that tree. That's right, exactly. So if it's going to be irrigation lines or it's manual, right? You've got a water tank on the back of a of a quad or something okay. in your, your truck, and yep. you're, you're watering everything by hand. One way or another, it's got to be done. one uh, 332 8255 Cheryl in Yorkton says, this is another kind of a neat question, that my son bought a home last fall, and the garden is overgrown with creeping Charlie. Uh, is Roundup effective in treating this weed, or what's the best way to get it out of the soil? Yeah, creeping Charlie is... is uh... <laughs> a nice invasive weed. So if you want to get out of the soil, Roundup would be the best thing to use. If there's lots of other perennials or plants, you want to be careful that you're not spraying the Roundup on those other ones and you might want to go through and almost just like paint it on the leaves or you can take a rag and sort of just wipe it on the Creeping Charlie once you start um, seeing that come out. But Roundup works works great on Creeping Charlie. Um, watch if it goes into the lawn and you'll, again, you'll be going through and painting it on the lawn as well too with that Roundup. Okay. Uh, we've got a text in from uh, Lana, who's in Eagle Lake, and says, Good morning. Do succulents need to be fertilized? If yes, with what fertilizer? So I guess the, the I know the answer at least to one part of this, and that's every plant needs fertilizer, right, Jill? Yeah, every plant needs fertilizer. However, succulents, they hold a lot of moisture in their leaves, and you can over-fertilize a succulent. Um, so it's really important that you use a cactus or succulent fertilizer. So when you go to um, the garden center, just pick up the cactus fertilizer, and that's the one that you want to use. And then I usually don't fertilize much in the winter when that plant, we don't have enough sunlight for your uh, succulents or your cactus to be actively growing. So you want to be fertilizing them way less. Um, so I would I would say from maybe November until January, February, February, even mid-February, I wouldn't be fertilizing my succulents at all. Um, start fertilizing them again, again, just with a cactus fertilizer, and uh, and then they'll get they'll get going. Uh, you can also do a lot of pinching and turning if you're finding your cactuses have stretched over over time. So uh, that will be really important. You'll find that you can even take those cuttings and stick them back into the soil and make new little baby succulents. Right. And and that succulent fertilizer, I think it's like Schultz's, and it's it's like a little bottle of of drops with like almost like an eyedropper in it, and it's really simple yeah. because it's a liquid fertilizer. You you put about seven or something so drops into into the a certain amount of water in your watering can. It just mixes together. Like I said, it's really light. Um, it's really yeah, easy it's like, too. 
it's a 277 fertilizer is the numbers on it, so a lower nitrogen, a little bit higher phosphorus and potassium. Gotcha. Okay. one 332 8255 couple ways to join the conversation. You can call us or text us as well. Uh, so we wanted to couple, talk about a couple more things that are happening in the garden center, one of them being uh, lily bulbs are arriving. Is that true? Yeah, we're actually starting to plant our lily bulbs Um coming up next week, if you can believe that, in the greenhouse. So what that means is that our Asiatics and Orientals, but we'll be starting most of our Oriental lilies, the reason being is they take a little bit longer time to bloom, and we want to time our bloom so that we have most of our lilies blooming. We usually will time them out so we have a little bit blooming in the Mother's Day month of May, so people can see what they look like in the greenhouse, but then buy a plant that is not blooming. So we time out these first this first crop so we can get them get them going. So if you're wanting you're listening to this now and you're like, oh, I need to get my lily bulb started now, that's only if you want them to start blooming Mother's Day or the May long weekend, okay? So you don't need to start them quite, quite yet in your house. Um, but you might want to start them in uh, in April if you're wanting to them to bloom a little bit earlier in your yard in the home and then you can plant them outside later. Um, and there's two different types of lilies that we're we're planting right now. One is an Asiatic lily, and the other one's an Oriental lily. And if you're a lily collector, um, there's so many varieties of lilies you can get: um, short ones, tall ones, double ones, uh, variegated colors, fragrance, no fragrance. But um, biggest thing is, is if you have an area that like you're not wanting to stake your lilies, choose an Asiatic lily. The lilies are more clumping, and the um, the blossoms will point upwards and they tend to be a shorter variety and there's even a tiny series that you can get and those ones will grow like maybe um, 12 to 14 inches tall so they're a shorter dwarf variety and those are great for Saskatchewan when it's nice and windy and you're not worrying about them snapping off. <laughs> yeah, but if you, want, if you want those big blooms like you see in the bouquets um, and the fragrance then you want to go with an oriental lilies make sure you plant them in a little bit more of a sheltered area that gets lots of sun and you will get those beautiful lily bulbs and uh, sometimes they'll to put a cage around them or something to hold them up and, and give them a little bit more stability. Now, speaking of our the garden center and in the greenhouse, you know, mm-hmm. one, one of the things that I always, the, 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 the biggest image in my head, whether you've been to Dutch growers in Saskatoon or the one in Regina, is that, you know, there's that moment in the spring where people are walking in and all of the hanging baskets are all hanging. They're all done. They're all loaded and full. And they're just hanging from the ceiling, just filling the sky full of green, green and color. Are we doing hanging baskets already in the garden center yet? Well, we are, we are getting started. So right now is kind of a prep for our hanging basket season. So it's, there's, a, there's quite a bit that goes into it. We have to sterilize the floor. We sterilize the irrigation pipes. Um, we are getting the, all of our drippers ready because each one of those, a, a dripper goes down into each basket to water it, um, making sure that the planting machine is in place. And Jay, you've helped with this whole process at the garden center before, so you know it. Yeah. Um, getting getting the, the planting machine in place, which is just the, basically a hopper with a conveyor belt on it that the soil goes through and then we can all plant it on the, an assembly line. Um, making sure that our fertilizer containers are, are mixed up and we have our, our fertilizer injectors uh, going, um, the pots, the tags. I, what we do with our hanging baskets is we, um, I make recipes every year and kind of like when you're cooking, I make like a recipe of what ingredients work best together. So I usually want something taller, something kind of mid-size and something trailing out the, the pot. So I sort of, 
will will curate the like perfect recipe or find <laughs> recipes that worked <laughs> worked well the previous year and then sort of repeat those. Um, so those are all all done, and the plugs will start arriving next week for those, which means that they're rooted cuttings. Most of these varieties are hybrids, um, so they're they're um, bred for vigor, they're bred for disease resistance, and a lot for for being compact plants. So what we want when we're choosing a plant for container gardening is we're I'm choosing a variety um, that is going to get the most amount of bloom power on the smallest amount of pot, and it's not going to stretch and grow huge for a customer. So that's kind of every year if I see a variety that's maybe been improved, that's usually how they're trying to improve that plant. So there's, there's actually quite a bit that goes into, like, choosing that variety or when I'm traveling around, like, in the summertime, going to do the different plant trials, I'm trying to figure out, okay, which breeder has actually improved some of these varieties of, say, maybe even the copa or a petunia, and am I going to switch to that because uh, last year we had a little bit of an issue with that plant maybe looking too big in that pot with these other ones and it just didn't didn't balance correctly. Right, so right, yeah, right. that's all going to be happening and um, you'll sort of see that you'll come into the greenhouse first of all and I see a lot of people who really take a deep breath and then they breathe in and they're like, ah, oh, the smell of soil in the spring. Yeah, no doubt. And it's just it's just something that's just refreshing and uh, and getting that in February um, when usually there's well, this year is a little bit different, but usually you're sitting in like minus minus twenty and being able to smell the the smell of spring and uh, see the progression too. So stop into your garden center in the area, and it's nice to go in at this time of year, see where things are at, and then stop in even two or three weeks later and see where things are at again. And the progression that you see of these little plant babies growing is just it's really exciting. Yeah, no doubt, it's really exciting. So Jill, we got an interesting text that's come in that we want to talk yeah. about, and we've we've kind of mentioned these these things before, but it's great to touch on it all the time because it, it's a common mm-hmm. question we get both at the garden center and here on the show. And it is wondering, uh, this is from uh, Sandy, who's in Moose Jaw, wondering if Dutch Growers has a list of plants that are dangerous or toxic to cats. And and we'll we'll talk about a few that we know off the top of our heads, but we actually want to kind of flip that question around and, and give you plants that we know are are safe at least because uh, that's a that's a much easier list to go over uh, and then then we yeah. don't we know we haven't missed any right so off the yeah. top of your head Jill what are some of the ones that we know are are not good for cats are not good for cats so the ones that are not good for cats and Jay this is that's an important thing that you mentioned is that. Um, when you're looking for for plants, don't look for the things that are not good for your cats. Look for the things that you know are good for your cats. So um, the ones off the top of my head that I know like are, are for sure, for sure poisonous, um, asparagus fern. So you very commonly see this in uh, your annual containers and in, in a house plant department. For a flowering plant, a cyclamens, um, very unique flower, cold, cold-growing plant, um, beautiful blooms on it, but poisonous to cats. Um, Dracaenas. Um, so those ones are poisonous and almost all the varieties of Dracaenas are poisonous. So whether it is your, um, dragon tree Dracaena or your corn Dracaena, uh, those ones are, are poisonous. English ivy, um, which is one that, uh, a lot of people will yeah. have in their homes. And, um, you might not know that that one, that one actually is poisonous. Um, a very trendy plant, uh, the fiddle leaf fig, um, is actually poisonous to, to cats. Um, if you went to the succulent families, a uh, jade plant is poisonous, so you want to watch those. Um, we just finished talking about lilies, um, and when I, now I'm flipping over into the garden, but lilies are actually highly toxic to cats. Um, 
and then pistolies would be another one, and then pasos uh, is a very, very common one that people have in their homes because it's a low-light plant, um, but again, toxic to, to cats. Now, remember, uh, cats are are an animal who adapt to their environment, and a lot of um, animals, they'll actually stay away from plants that they are poisonous, that are poisonous, and they have this kind of innate sense of them, but um, in our home, sometimes that becomes a problem because they're not out in nature where there's all these other things that they can explore, right? right. So um, with everything, you want to be cautious. And uh, like just as like us as humans with allergies, we might react to some things that some other um, people might, and your cat might be the same thing. So really watch your cat and how they're reacting to different things. Watch a lot of these ones that might be like, will say like highly toxic or just slightly toxic or might be an irritation um, and those are those are different things too um, I'm not a vet so I'm not going to go into diagnosing a, a pet or what to look for or those types of things but biggest thing is if you notice that your your pet has eaten anything and is showing maybe any signs maybe some inflammation or um, or something like that is you can call your animal poison control center and uh, they will sort of walk you through it or you can look at a list um, but that is one of the reasons why identifying what plants you have in your home and in your yard is is a kind of an important thing to do because then if something does go wrong, you already know what that plant is. You can give the information to the person on the phone right. that you're talking to. So uh, yeah. for for Sandy, we have a list on the Dutch Growers website. Is that correct? Of stuff that is okay for cats. We do have a cat friendly or a pet friendly list, but the other thing that we've tried to go a step further is that when you're going shopping into the greenhouse and we're working on this more and more is when we have signs with all of our plants and you'll see like a little picture of a cat or a dog on it and that will mean as well that it is cat friendly. So things like African violets, air plants, cast iron, peperomias, calceas, Christmas cactus, um, palms, the list goes on and on. So if you're looking for something that is cat or pet friendly, there is lots of options for you. Um, you might not be able to, to get some of the ones that you absolutely love if your cat loves to eat your plants. Now, remember, some some animals, they don't eat their plants. And so you're able to sort of open up your window of opportunity there. But know, know your pet, know what your pet's going to do, and keep them safe that way. Well, we're pretty much out of time. If you can believe it, that's pretty much the whole show. There's one yeah. text we're going to get to uh, from Marie when we get off the air here. Don't forget, we've got a freezing rain warning a lot across a lot of the province right now with some interesting road conditions. Check that highway hotline if you're doing any traveling around Saskatchewan, especially through Saskatoon, Swift Current, that area today. So thanks again. Safe. Yeah, exactly. Thanks again for joining us. We'll be back again live. Hopefully, maybe we'll get Rick on next week. Same time, same place. I'm Jay with Jill Van Dyke. This has been Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.